Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. This is season one's final episode. You've been with us for 51. This is episode 52, a full year of Other You. On today's show, I'm excited to have the youngest guest I have ever had. She's a teen author that moved to Europe to continue her studies as she prepares her first published work, which is a novel collected short stories. It'll be available in winter of 2021. This episode uh, is live at the point where her pre-sale is going on, which is very exciting. She's living abroad and drawing on a wide variety of uh, experiences for her inspiration. Her name is Lily Smith. Welcome to the show. Lily, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi. Hi. This is great. Yeah. So she's, you are 16 years old and mm -hmm. you are in the works. So how, do, how did you land a, a publisher for your works uh, at such a young age? What was, what was, tell me how about that, please. Okay. Um, so I was originally involved in a program called Do Wit, which is a program that helps you design, create, and build a business. And it's geared towards high school students um, around the United States. And I originally got involved with that program and I was going to create a business, but, um, I had some troubles deci deciding what kind of enterprise I wanted to build. Um, and it was like supposed to be a social enterprise that benefits the community. And so I went down a couple different routes and I ended with like, I wanted to kind of follow and explore my passion or one of my passions, which is writing. And so I had some coaches in the program who suggested like, why don't you just write a book and you can like donate those proceeds somewhere or you can just write this book for yourself and that can be what you do. And so I kind of took that idea and went with it. And for like a year, I was like writing on and off, but I didn't have any deadlines and I didn't know whether this, whether to self publish or to find a publisher. And I had some people that I knew that were kind of more involved within the writing world that were helping me, but mm -hmm. I didn't really have any structure. And then um, I'm on LinkedIn and there was this person on LinkedIn. Um, his name is Professor Eric Koster, mm -hmm. and he runs a program called the Book Creators Program. And he reached out to me like uh, around like a half a year or a year before um, Jan this last January. So January of 2021. He had reached out to me before that and like asked me about, you know, my interest and maybe joining the program. And we had just connected through mutual connections on LinkedIn and it didn't work out. Okay. But then this time in January, he followed up again and I uh, got some more information on the program and did some more research. And I was like, oh, this is something I want to do. And so basically what the program is, it's um, called the Book Creators Program. And they help you with a community of other authors. There's about 100 authors in the program. Um, basically, 
design, build, and then like publish your own book. Um, and so they really streamline the process for you. And throughout the whole um, program, which is a year long, you have editors, you have um, publishers, you have like kind of a whole marketing team. You also have like weekly sessions with um, speakers coming in and you get to regularly connect and interact and like meet other authors that are doing the same thing as you, um, whether it's nonfiction, um, creative memoir, poetry, um, there's kind of like all of those sets um, in the program. I got involved in the program in, gen in January and that's how I was able to get um, a publisher because I think without my involvement in the program, I would have really struggled to kind of find the structure for how to actually publish a real life book. Mm. Um, I think it would have been a lot harder for me just because I do have a full-time job. I'm a student right. and this allows the process to really like be streamlined for me in a way where I can just like move to the next step, move to the next step, connect with other authors. And I have this whole community kind of like at my doorstep. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I, I think um, it's interesting. I've, I know a lot of adult writers that are uh, self-published because it was too difficult for them to end up landing a literary agent that would help them publish their book. So I'm really excited that you got the opportunity to connect and network the way that you did so that you can get right into it. Um, the name of your book is called The Unwavering, and it is a novel built with a collection of short stories? Yes. So it's a collection of short fiction stories. Um, the working title right now is The Unwavering, and I've decided, at least for now, that I would like to stick with that title. Okay. okay. So the collection of short stories, are they going to be all in the same universe? Um, so... No, they're not all in the same universe. Mm -hmm. um, each short story is independent of the other ones, except um, they're connected by theme. Okay. And so a little bit about my book is it's a collection of short fiction stories which are centered around um, humanness and reconciliation and how we okay. can reconcile in our relationship with others, but most importantly with ourselves. And so um, the novel follows, um, I currently have 25 short stories in the book. Wow. And um, that number may change, but I think I'm going to stick with that for now. Um, okay. And it follows a lot of different characters with different stories and different lives and mm -hmm. different relationships and how they have connected or disconnected in each of those relationships and with themselves. Um, and so I wanted to kind of get... Um, as much writing as I could <laughs> into yeah. this first book. <laughs> wow, great. Awesome. Okay, so be on the lookout for The Unwavering. Uh, that's the working title. Hopefully it's the one that stays. Um, <laughs> the presale link is up. Uh, it'll be down. Uh, the link to the Indiegogo uh, presale will be on the description on the website. Uh, you can refer back to that if you're listening across any of the other streaming platforms. Hit up the website uh, www.danielmoreno.me and it'll be there um, on her page for her, her link. So that being said, let's go ahead and transition to your decision. You're young, but that doesn't mean that in life there aren't very impactful decisions that we make. So hit us with that moment where you made a choice and you can see the impact of that choice today. Yeah. 
Um, so last year, in the midst of COVID, um, I decided to move to Berlin um, with my mom. And <laughs> every day I feel the impact of that. And mm. it's like been a cause of a lot of reflection for me on Berlin, on where I was living in San Diego, California, um, and just kind of life in general. Uh, so mm. I think that's, that's definitely something that has forever changed me in a way. Okay. So tell, tell us why Berlin? Okay, so um, originally my um, mom did an artist in residency program here mm -hmm. in Berlin a couple years ago, and I came with her, and we became really good friends with the person who was running it. And part of the artist in residency program was that we spent a week in this small um, village in East Germany, and then we spent a week in the heart of Berlin. Mm-hmm. And so we came to Berlin, we did the week here, and both of us um, fell in love with the city and mm -hmm. the energy of the city and its essence. Yeah. And I think that we came to a mutual decision through talking with this person. It ended up, um, he used to work at the school that I'm now going to today in Berlin. Okay. Um, which kind of helped us shore up like what I would do to continue my studies here. Mm -hmm. And um, it ended up working out where my mom and I really fell in love with the city. Mm -hmm. And we decided to apply to the school here. And we got in in the beginning of COVID. And it was kind of like, well, if the other pieces fall into place, then maybe we'll go. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't look likely right now. Okay. So we kind of put it on the back burner and then like by, I want to say by the end of July, by the end of June, mm -hmm. um, beginning of July, pieces started to fall into place uh, more rapidly Okay. and it was like, okay, we're going to go. Um, but up until that, like beginning of July, I had basically just made the decision that I was going to leave. So okay. looking back on that now, the time frame is like I got accepted and I found out that I got accepted in March and we started getting the pieces ready um, right after that. And then I kind of decided fully that I wanted to leave um, because mm -hmm. my mom, she already knew she wanted to leave. It was just a decision of whether I stay in California or whether I go with her. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. your your mom was going to come to to Germany. She was coming back because she fell in love with the city when she did her artist res residency. Exactly. Gotcha. And okay. uh, it's also a major city for artists and um right. because so many different people come from so many different places and it's such an international city, it's really rich in art and culture and life. Mm. Um okay. That's actually something like we had talked about because she didn't totally want to go without me but mm. I wasn't completely sure that I wanted to go not because I didn't feel the connection to the city mm -hmm. but because of the ease of being able to stay in San Diego with you know 
my path kind of roughly laid out for me already with the high school I would continue to go to, the friends I would have, um, all of those kind of things that I already knew and I was already used to and I knew what that would kind of hold for me. I wasn't quite ready to, I guess, like uproot all that and leave. Okay. And she already knew she wanted to go. And it was just kind of me that was keeping us still in San Diego at that point. Sure. And so I think that I'm trying to come up with like a rough date of when I was like, okay, I, I'm going to Berlin. We're going to Berlin. Yeah. This is happening. Okay. Um, I think that was maybe like mid or end of June because I started telling people and like the, at, in the beginning, in the first week of July, like, oh yeah, um, but I'm uh, going to move to Berlin. Uh. And then the news started spreading around my small kind of like California town, yeah. um, which is a major surf town. And mm. um, everyone started to like text me and message me and I would meet people and they'd be like, oh, wait, what? You're moving to Berlin? Like <laughs> it started to become this this thing. Wow. Okay. Okay, so it it makes way it like it it makes me way more sense to me that your mom is like, okay, I'm moving, uh, and I would love it if you came. I I'd want to go without you, but when you introduced it, you're like, I decided to move to Berlin with my mom. It it made me think that you were just like, all right, mom, I'm moving to Berlin. Do you want to come? Please come with me when I when I go. That's oh, what I had in my brain. Okay. So okay. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. So tell me more about how you decided to jump to another country and bring your mom along versus, you know, so, okay. Okay. So like, I have to be honest, Mm -hmm. like many times the roles switched because there was a lot of doubt and fear um, when we left because we tried to leave the country um, twice and we ended up leaving the country successfully and getting to Berlin the third time, but like after the first time of trying and failing to leave because it was in the middle of COVID in Mm -hmm. um, August last year, she was really doubting like what, you know, it doesn't look like the universe um, wants us to go. And the universe is just like um, a representation for my mom and I's higher power. We call it God or the universe, Mm -hmm. um, but we're not very religious. Okay. Um, And so um i was i was like we couldn't have made it this far only to just turn around and go back to the way we were living now like all of the other pieces have worked out for us and they've all fallen into place Mm -hmm. and so in terms of like the roles of me wanting to go and her coming with me and her wanting to go and me kind of going with her it really switched a lot and in the in the beginning and in the end, it was a mutual decision for both of us. We wanted to go um, together. Okay. But in process of getting there, there was a lot of tension between like, are we really meant to go? Mm. Like, because if we were meant to go, it would have been easy. <laughs> and oh man, trying to leave the country twice oh, and man. failing both times is not really the easiest. You know what? I, I have learned at this point in life that sometimes the right thing is the suckiest thing, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah. it, it ends up working out, but it's like, oh, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. What, what is going, you know? So I'm, I'm so glad that you made it through. And so when we talked last time, for those of you guys listening, 
we talked last time. You mentioned how you got to the airport and they were like, um, no, because you need written for permission from the school you're attending and from border security that they're even going to let you in. And you had to you yeah. had to go through that twice. And then finally, you're getting the paperwork to come through. I just think it's amazing that the airport is like, oh, that's cute. No, show me your yeah. paperwork right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was um, interesting. Like we had talked to um, our friend in um, who's living right, uh, the person that hosted us for the arson residency. He had sent us a lot of like help and information and um, like current COVID regulations and news updates. And we were checking like all of the things that we needed to check to be prepared. We had like all of the documents in order. Um, and it like, we ended up needing a letter from the school um, that I'm attending now, but that my school in Berlin that at the time I wasn't going to yet, we ended up needing a letter from them saying that I needed to attend instruction in person and it couldn't be virtual. And we right. needed a letter from the German border police saying that we would be allowed to enter the country. But the issue with that is that the German consulate told us, like, you don't need this letter. Like, this letter isn't necessary. It's unnecessary. And, you know, it's up to the discretion of the German border police officer that you get at customs. Um, it's up to their discretion whether or not you're allowed to enter um, Germany. And so that led us to, so after we tried to leave from San Diego the first time, we thought like, oh, it's probably a domestic um, thing because we were taking domestic flights to then leave to go to Berlin. And they wouldn't even let, her, let us check our baggage because the baggage was going to Berlin. Um, mm. And so they turned us around because we needed those two things. And within an hour, we were able to get the letter from the school. And um, at that point, my mom was very, like, upset. And I could, I could see the fear in her eyes because we had dropped, um, we were renting and we had dropped our home and mm. um, basically had all of our stuff with us. And so we stayed at, like, a small motel in the town that um, we were living in. Well, we kind of like regrouped and I remember going out to lunch with her and looking in her eyes and saying like, this is supposed to happen. I know this is supposed to happen. We're supposed to go to Berlin. I don't know how, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. And that I wholeheartedly meant that and she could see it in my eyes and um, she trusted me with that. And then a little bit, a little while later, we found out that our friend of ours was actually driving up to LA and we were like, oh, we could take a Lufthansa, an international flight out of LA. And that's probably what the issue was uh, at the airport in San Diego. Um, the fact that we were taking domestic flights, maybe the domestic flights are just weird, but the international ones, since they're international and maybe they have more experience with our like unique circumstance, Maybe they'll take us. Okay. Um, and so it worked out with a friend going, which was like another sign that we were supposed to go to Berlin. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
just like this ease of they happened to be going the next day. So like we packed up our stuff the next morning and we drove up to LA with them. And um, we uh, waited around and we took, we scheduled a flight out for that day. We were supposed to take a flight out for the next day. So we got up to LA on a Wednesday and we were supposed to take a flight out on the Thursday on a Lufthansa. Okay. But the flights rescheduled and we, it looked like we could take a flight out of um, uh, LA the same day, Wednesday, which was to both of us, another sign. Okay. And so our friend drove us to the airport, took a picture of us and um, we got in there, we were waiting. We presented the letter and then they were like, uh, they asked for the same thing, the mm. same thing that we didn't have. Sheesh. And that proceeded with a lot of phone calls and we were in there for like two or three hours of like, we talked to the German consulate, the German consulate here, here's this letter from the German consulate saying that we um, don't need this letter mm -hmm. and the airline going back and forth and making calls. And finally, we came across the same issue. Like, we need the letter from the German border police. Sheesh. And so, yeah, lots of, like, stress and anxiety. And so we went back to the hotel we were staying at in L.A. And we ended up getting a flight out on Monday, but that was Wednesday. So those whole that whole period of time, um, my mom had sent an email to... Um, I think the German border police mm -hmm. about like, is it possible for you to get us this letter? Like kind of this personal pleading to them about like our specific case and how we need this letter now mm -hmm. and how she's an artist and I'm working on a book and like, this is supposed to happen for us. This personal kind of plea of yeah. please get to this as soon as you can. Yeah. And so like they responded and they were like, we need to, you know, I need to give this to my superior to to look at it because it just needed to go through the chains of command. Right. And that was like on a Friday. And so it took the whole weekend. And then early Monday morning, because of the time change, um, we got a letter back from the German border police saying that we'd be allowed to enter the country. Um, and we booked re rebooked the flight for, for that day and we were able to leave. And... Wow. Um, when we finally got to Berlin, um, not Berlin, sorry, Frankfurt, we were standing there um, as the German border police looked over all of our papers. Um, and we just like shared a look uh, during this moment of stillness of like, we could get turned around uh -huh. right now. Yeah. And like, it wouldn't have been for nothing. Um, but like this, this could be it. Um, and we ended up getting through. Um, but there were so many times throughout this whole thing where she was worried that if it like was supposed to work out, if it was truly supposed to work out, if the universe was really like supporting us and wanted this to happen, then it would have been easy. Mm -hmm. And there were parts of it that were easier than others, but there was a big chunk of time when we were staying at this like airport hotel, um, in LA where we would go on like these warm kind of summer nightly walks and we would just talk about how like I knew that 
somehow we were going to get here. Mm -hmm. um, somehow my intuition was telling me that we were going to get to Berlin. And okay. I think that that reassured both of us. And then when I started to falter, she reassured me. And um, we both agreed that like, we want to go to Berlin and we're meant to be there. And in a way, Berlin was calling us. Um, if you haven't been to Berlin, I highly recommend you do because the energy of the city here is unlike any city that you've probably been to before. Yeah. It's just very special and very unique. Awesome. Yeah. So that's like a long story short. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, all right. So tell me... Tell me about family life. So we're going to spend all of our time talking about June of 2020. Who okay. were you in June of 2020? So tell me about family life. We know it's you and your mom. Uh, do you have mm -hmm. any other siblings? Um, is your, your dad in the picture at all? Yeah, so I am an only child. My parents divorced when I was three. Um, so I split time between both households. Um, I would usually spend like Wednesdays and Sundays with um, my dad and he would take me when my mom was on vacation somewhere mm -hmm. and I would spend the rest of the time with my mom. Okay. And, um, growing up, I had a pretty decent relationship with him, mm -hmm. but then as I got older, I, um... I realized that I didn't feel comfortable spending as much time with him as I did um, because he's an alcoholic and oh. a drug addict. And that was kind of this realization for me that had always been there in my childhood and growing up. But um, when I when I realized it, and like it came into my consciousness of like, oh, that's why I was feeling all of those different ways. That's why I felt uncomfortable when I was younger mm. and why I um, would sometimes really miss my mom or miss sleeping at her house. Like when it all kind of clicked together, I was like, OK, I don't feel comfortable going and staying at my dad's house anymore. I would like to stay with my mom. Um, and so that switched things around, um, because I was really young at that age. Um, I think that was sixth grade. So okay. I don't know how old that was. <laughs> that was like four, four years ago. You were like 12, 11, 12, right? You finished yeah, sixth grade four at or five, I think five years ago, something like that. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, Coming to that realization uh, has taught me a lot about boundaries um, yeah. from a really young age and about the importance of having boundaries and how boundaries are this kind of radical, act, can be a radical act of self-care and yeah. self-love. And yeah. um, they can also protect you. And so it really, I wouldn't trade my experience growing up in um both households for anything because it's taught me a lot about life mm -hmm. and i've definitely grown up a lot because of it um right. but it's helped me to understand a lot of things wow good over the last 
like year, my wife and I have been a lot of our conversations where we talk about um, like the growth that we are experiencing and the idea of boundaries is something that keeps coming up and how some people don't understand boundaries um, because in their brokenness, they haven't learned how to interact with people in like a safe and healthy way. So they just kind of perpetuate their brokenness. They don't know that they're doing that. That's just what feels the most comfortable. So when you set up boundaries with people, they, they think like, Oh, you're being controlling or you're being manipulative or whatever. And it's like, Mm-hmm. No, all I'm saying is I don't want you treating me the way that you're treating me. Yeah. The end, you know, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. learning early on in life that creating boundaries can be important for self-care. Kudos to you because that's <laughs> going to that's going to help. And it, it like embodying the idea of setting it's like establishing boundaries and sticking to them, which I feel like for most people is the hardest part. Right. Mm-hmm. setting up the boundaries mm-hmm. like you know how you want to be treated or how you don't um but mm-hmm. actually sticking to them and holding true to like no no this is who i am and this is how it's going to be you know sort of thing so yeah absolutely yeah. good for you yeah thank you um yeah no we i didn't when i was young and i grew up in um going back and forth between homes I didn't know how to have boundaries because I was still a child. Yeah. But in many ways, like I was the parent and my relationship with my father and I spent a lot of time taking care of him. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have the option to get to have a boundary, nor would I have known what that even looked like. Mm -hmm. But then I realized once I got some more like consciousness of like, oh, this is why I felt like that and why I felt like that, and this is kind of what happened, then I was like, okay, like, I don't want to continue feeling this way, and I don't feel safe, and I need to protect myself, and so I set some boundaries, and I'm really grateful for my mom's support in that, um, because she helped me to understand that it's okay to have those boundaries and she was learning how to have them with my dad at the same time too. Mm. Um, My dad and I now have a really good relationship um, and he still lives in California. Um, But we can talk more about that later. Um, In any case, like I see a lot of young people However, I, th- I see a lot of people in general, um, no matter what age they are, and I can see them really struggling with how to have boundaries to like take care of themselves yeah. and how to have boundaries in all sorts of their relationships. Yeah. And it's it's not something that you can teach someone. It's something that they have to want to do. Mm. Um, I've grown up um with a lot of Al-Anon, which is for friends and families of alcoholics. Okay. And then under Al-Anon, there's Alateen, which is for um, young people. Eventually, I did end up going to Alateen meetings. And that's um, shaped so much of who I am today, because there's a lot of people that I see that still struggle with boundaries. And that is okay. I can um, send them love and send them blessings. And that's all I can do because A, I didn't cause it. B, I can't cure it. And C, I can't control it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> funny the things that we learn when we're, you know, doing inner work. And yeah. what, what, one thing that I, I feel that is important that you mentioned is that you had an idea of what you were, you know, willing to accept from people and you had decided, you know, like, oh, they're not doing things. So I don't want to waste my time, you know, here with them. Mm -hmm. But then you dialed mm -hmm. it back when you, you know, started to do more mm -hmm. of the work on yourself and more of the interaction you had with them. So mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think one of the traps that we encounter as people is we tend to um, decide we make decisions for people. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's yeah. the there's a fine line between like creating your boundaries and deciding what sort of things you you want in your life and deciding what other people will do, what they're capable of and all that jazz. And so mm -hmm. like skirting that line is part of the adventure. You know, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But I think it's always really important when we're doing the work and we see like, oh, you know, I'm not. I'm not making space for you. I have, yeah. you know, controlled all the space and I'm deciding for you what you will and will not do and how you will and will not react and that sort of thing. So, yeah, huh, yeah, right exactly. I 100% I agree with you. Um, boundaries are really great and they, um, I, honestly, I, I feel them as like a radical act of love mm -hmm. and especially like self-love. And they're, but they're not meant to control boundaries aren't meant to control anyone else or their lives or their stories. They're meant to kind of like set a guideline of like what you're okay with, what you're not okay with, what works for you, what doesn't, what, what there's so many different things that come with them. Um, and I just like, I agree with what you said too. I definitely like, I had some assumptions about people that I some negative ones that like I had to learn to kind of just toss out the window because when you have those types of assumptions you can't truly see the people you're interacting with yep. you're seeing it through your own lens mm -hmm. your own perspective and when though that singular perspective is very limiting yeah I agree right on uh, so transitioning what what were <laughs> Uh, what were some of your hobbies? I uh, have always loved to read. Okay. Um, and I remember last summer, like I would bike around my town. I would, uh, I'd love, I'd love to exercise. And um, I think exercise during the pandemic definitely was a source of like uh, mental health and like mm -hmm. a release of stress and anxiety when the world was kind of unsure what to do. Um, yeah. And so I exercised a lot during the pandemic and hindsight more than I think was necessary <laughs> and that I needed to, but it was definitely okay. like an anxiety and stress relief for me. Sure. And so I, um, during this time last year, I was biking a lot and running and I pretty much spend most of my days down in, um, at the beach and swimming. Okay. Sometimes I would do, like swim out um, into the ocean and then like do a lap to this other beach that was like kind of nearby. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the night times, I would, depending on like kind of my social life, 
Um, most nights I would come home and um, I would start writing at like 11 or 12 at night based off of these kind of um, short stories that I had written when I was kind of watching the sunset by myself. Um, so I'd spend the whole day at the beach. I'd usually come home and go out and bike again or come home and go out and skateboard. Mm. And then I would skateboard or bike with um, some paper and a pen. And I would go to this spot that I knew um, by where the ocean um, meets the land. Um, yeah. And I would go out, watch the sunset and just like write. And sometimes I would write and listen to music there for a couple hours until I came home and decided to like furiously kind of type <laughs> and write it up at my computer before then like going to bed. Okay. So that became like this routine for me. And that was really only like the month, two months max before I left to go to Berlin. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that furiousness is because I knew I was leaving and I knew that this town that I loved, the ocean, which I love, um, I kind of had a finite number of days with, and yeah. I needed to soak up and have as much as I possibly could of it. Um, and so it led to a lot of like creative bursts for me, which I really needed to like express um, urgently. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so that uh, that covers a, a, another question I was going to ask. What was your oh, okay. like typical routine? So, okay, in the, in the waning days before you left, the way that you were absorbing as much of you know yeah. Southern California as you could, biking yeah. down to the water. Um, so, that being said, of all the things that you were writing, what about the scenery mm -hmm. was the most inspirational? Did you? focus more on the landscape did you just watch the water and let things happen or was it about the way the sun was in the sky and the way it touched things what was the thing that really inspired you down there um i have to say it was really everything okay. um those summer sunsets every day were beautiful i mean i find every sunset to be beautiful but i mean they were like beautiful in the sense of like if there were clouds you could still very clearly see the sunset and it washed the whole sky in this paint of different colors sometimes purples and pinks sometimes mm -hmm. just pink but then like the sun would go down and it would set over the water mm -hmm. and sometimes the water would be so still that like you could just slowly hear it lapping in the distance it was kind of i have to say like it was everything all together, plus with the knowing that, like, I would have, I would be leaving soon. Hmm. Um, let me ask you, what music were you listening to? Okay. Um, yeah, good question. I actually had a Spotify playlist that during, I, so when I was biking, hmm. I would usually listen to, like, some rock. Like, I'm talking Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. Um, the Chats, which is a newer band. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, Black Sabbath. Um, okay, so just some, like really light, easy listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really light, easy. Um, 
very instrumental, mm. right? Yes. Soothing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Metallica too. Okay. <laughs> Got to, had to throw that one in there. Super sure. light and easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then like when I would journal and write, uh, most of the time I, sometimes I listen to rock, but then a lot of other times, like I would put on some Neil Young, um, Harvest Moon became an especial uh, favorite of mine uh, mm-hmm. because the moon most often was shining and the ocean was there and the night was warm and it was everything that the feeling of the song was there in reality and okay. was kind of surrounding me. Um, I listened to um, uh, a lot of Solange. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if you know who Solange is, but oh, yeah. I Beyonce's really, sister. okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love her with such a passion. I listened, I think on Spotify this year, at the end of this year, or no, at the end of last year, gave me my recap and she was my top artist. I listened to like hundreds of hours of her. Wow. Okay. That's um, good to know. Solange. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Um, an interesting mix of like some old um, mellow classics like Neil Young and some more contemporary artists like Solange. Okay. Um, so the first thing you mentioned, some classic rock on your bike rides to the water. Uh-huh. And then when you're at the water, listening to Harvest Moon, blew your brain hole. And then Solange is the thing yeah. that you listen to the absolute most. So yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Okay. Perfect. So I like to I like to ask this question in two parts. Um, what was your vision for the future? Part one is, what was your projection for yourself in the practical sense? What were you actively working towards? Because you're like, okay, this is what I want, so this is how I'm going to do it. I was definitely focused on college and thinking about college and university, but I was so in the moment and present in the days that would go by, and I have to be honest, like I felt Berlin kind of rumbling toward me. And so the future of what I would do in California became a a lot more limited in the sense of like, usually I'm kind of a planner. Okay. And so my original like ideas for plans and things like that were sort of there, but my heart was somewhere else. And that (laughs) was in Berlin. And so like, it felt unnecessary to try and continue to um, foresee my future in San Diego when I had this feeling of moving. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then the second part of the future was before, let's say even before Berlin came up, what were your in the stars aspirations for life? What, what's a hope and or a dream that you had at that time? It's really interesting you say that Um, because I've had a lot of different ones. Okay. And I never really decided, I've never really had a, oh, I need and I want to do this. I didn't have any specific dreams. I was focused at the time into, before Berlin, I was um very focused on getting into like colleges and specific colleges and I still am 
but I was focused on it to an extent where it was creating stress and anxiety for me that was unnecessary. Okay. And I would spend a lot of time like thinking about it and ruminating on it. And I, um, was and still do to a certain extent. Um, I really wanted to get into Stanford University. And so there was this short period of time where I definitely designed a lot of like things. I like that was the next thing that I saw me doing. It okay. wasn't like much further than that. Okay, Stanford. That yeah. was that was like that that was the school. I want to get to Stanford. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Okay. So your your main dream was Stanford, but you learned through your obsession with it that maybe you should yeah. dial that down just a touch. Uh, it's funny because all I wanted was to get into Princeton when I was in school. And then I got into Princeton yeah. and I was so excited, but they didn't offer me any any money at all to help pay for mm -hmm. it. So I was like, yeah, I can't afford $17,000 a semester. So, yeah. uh, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to take out like a billion dollars in loans. <clears throat> so I was like, yeah. oh, this is great. Here that is was, here's a, yeah. a winning lottery ticket that I can't cash, you know? <laughs> great. Yeah, exactly. So that was also part of a big thing too. I, I realized like, okay, if I get into Stanford or like these other Ivy League universities that like our society has definitely put on a pedestal, yeah. which I don't support. Um, if I get into them and I'm not offered a scholarship, am I going to want to go? And I was like, I decided that like, I don't want to pay that much or bury myself in student loans and debt, um, right. just to go to, uh, this school. There's, there's a better like path carved out for me where I'm supposed to go. Right and on. so that also helped to like relieve kind of like the anxiety I'd put on, Great. um, myself to, to, to do that. Great. Okay. Okay. You know, I think, I think at this point I have a bunch of things that I can draw from that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this is <laughs> here. Here's a quick disclaimer. Not all of my stories have happy endings. So uh, that's okay with me. Yeah. I, I, the book that I'm writing, like I purposefully want to leave readers like unsettled and introspective and thinking i don't want it to you know leave in this like super happy mm -hmm. everyone gets that ending because that doesn't really that sometimes that happens sometimes that doesn't yeah yeah so, so i understand <laughs> great great yeah so i think i think you've given me a lot of like little nuggets that i can draw from that um i think i'm okay. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with the story that i can create for you um okay. awesome uh one more quick thing you, mm -hmm. you you mentioned san diego and then my small town were you living in san diego or a suburb i was living in san diego i was living in a small kind of beach town not uh it wasn't a suburb of san diego it was still like in san diego okay um but it was this small beach town that was kind of like a bubble um, Interesting, and that's uh, where I was living. Gotcha. What was that called? It was called um, La Jolla, California. La Jolla? It's a beautiful town, but the town is really like a bubble. There is a lot of privilege in that town, which 
um, is not like really representative of the world as a whole. And so like, you can definitely like, if you wanted to, you could just like live your whole life in the town and, and, and grow up there and be there, but you wouldn't really be seeing life as it is. And there's a lot of like privilege um, mm -hmm. and that I uh, didn't really feel comfortable like continuing to, to be a part of. Um, okay. Okay, cool. That that helps. That'll um, that'll give me a uh, uh, a nice uh, vantage point to kind of explore the area and where I can put you. Because like the okay. setting for me is is always fun. It's a fun part for me yeah. trying to create the setting and then decoding okay. my guest and then kind of putting that person into yeah. the story. So, all right. So then. At this point of the show, we're going to take a quick break. We'll listen to a little bit of music, and when we come back, we're going to hear the story I will have written for Lily. It'll be called Other Lily, and then we'll talk about it. Stick around.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that brief musical break. My guest again today is Lily Smith. Please check out the link for her uh, her book her collection of short stories, The Unwavering. Her uh, the Indiegogo link for her presale is going to be on the website. Head over to www.danielmoreno.me and uh, you'll find hers as the top entry. Um, or you can look amongst them if you're coming later on in the universe timeline, I guess, whatever. Uh, look for Lily Smith. Her her link is there. It'll be active for the next couple weeks. From today, August 4th, um, for, for a couple more weeks. But you can pick it up on pre-sale there. Otherwise, you'll have to wait to the end of the year to pick it up in earnest. If you would like to follow her on the social medias, her Instagram account is author.lily.smith. And then on Twitter, you can find her at lilyhdsmith. She's also on LinkedIn under Lily Smith. Look up young author or authorpreneur, right? That's, that's, that is, you're the first person I've heard uh, use that. Tell me how you came up with that. I love it. Um, Well, there's been a lot of kind of entrepreneurship programs and people within the kind of realm of entrepreneurship that I've met. And so I have like been along those journeys and, um, what we do as authors and as writers, and I would say as artists, and, and really like you can start to think about this within everyone's own individual life. We're all entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and different and unique ways. Um, but we're like, as an author, for me, I'm like reinventing and ima- reimagining and creating um, a business and also um a book and and that book is the business and um it's like this reinvention which i kind of coin an authorpreneur Mm -hmm. because you have to be able to have those skills um and like you would have an entrepreneurship and it's it's a huge part of what it what it is to be an author for me at least right on i love that excellent excellent cool beans look her up buy her book follow her on the socials that being said are you ready for your story? I am so ready for my story. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited and really um, grateful to hear it. Oh, for sure. All right. Here goes. This is the story of Other Lily. You can't sit there, shouted an aggravated public works employee. You can't sit there. You have to be back on this, on this side of the fence. You, you see the fence, don't you? Other Lily lost to the world engrossed in her work, sits cross-legged on a checkered baby blanket and scribbles away on her lined spiral notebook, furiously scrawling every drop of beauty cascading down from the horizon. Oh, cascading down the horizon from the heavens to the edges of the water at the edge of sight. Tears welled in her eyes as she watched the deep orange sun dipping into the purplish sky. The honking of the nearby seals was the day's end's lullaby. Miss, young lady, get out of there. A pebble soars through the air, landing on Other Lily's notebook, startling her. She yelps, and in a moment of panic, throws her notebook and pen into the air. She rips the earbuds out and screams, Oh, what the heck? Who did that? You can't be on that side of the fence, girl. You could could have said something. You scared me half to death. And you ruined my train of thought. Come on. Her heart beats fast in her chest. Frustrated, she breathes heavily in and out through her nose. A raging bull. She scours the, land, the small landing where she perches every Saturday morning looking for her favorite pen. It is a .38 gel tip pen, one of the few things she had left from her father. He's still alive, mind you. 
but they had not spoken for months. She was tired of being a mom to a man his age. She wanted to be the kid, but only when she was home. Other Lily thrived in the image of autonomy she built in her mind, but at home, when she rested, she wanted to be the child. You made me lose my pen. I'm really upset about that. Too bad. Come on, get out of there. I don't want to have to call the police. The police? For a girl? Just riding on the beach? Great. The sun's gone. Are you happy? You ruined it. As she spoke with the employee eager to not have another incident with aggressively adventurous visitors to Seal Rock fall off the rocks during her shift, the sun made its final descent into the depths beyond sight. I wanted to catalog the changing colors of the sky as the sun left for the night. <sighs> Why did you interrupt me? Child, her frustration growing, she bites her tongue and searches for any measure of empathy to coax other Lily from beyond the fence and onto the path where she is uh, anyone else's problem. <clears throat> Please, I'm sorry it is nighttime, but good news. Tomorrow, the sun will come back up and you can try again then. Just try from this side of the fence. Please. Fine. Ugh. Other Lily pushes up off the ground, takes hold of her notebook. Its pages are soiled with sand and dirt. She takes a moment to give one more cursory glance before retrieving the remainder of her things. Her baby blanket, the small bento box she stuffs with mini carrots, grapes, berries, and edamame, which is her favorite kind of snack, anything you can eat whole in a single bite, and her disposable camera. She stuffs them into her repurposed Lululemon shopping bag and climbs the fence to safety. The worker smiles a forced half-smile and motions to Other Lily to skedaddle. Other Lily nestles her earbuds back in their home, deep within her ear canals, and resumes her beachfront playlist, Harvest Moon. War of Man picks up where it left off, and she hops on her bicycle and scurries home. Sometime later, <clears throat> the tension in the, in the room is so thick, Other Lily draws in mouthfuls of air to fill her lungs, unwilling to admit either to herself or to her mother. She's hurt. She lost her .38 pen. They've been arguing over nothings, small and big, Ever since. Pass the potatoes, asks her mother. Other Lily stares out the window, chewing her food in silence, lost in thought. Honey, please pass the potatoes. She looks down at the potatoes in front of her, and in protest, she pushes the table away from herself, sliding the food placed in front of her mother away, oh, who always sat catty corner instead of across from Mother Lily at their small kitchen table. What are you doing, Mother Lily? Mom, I don't know. I had everything perfect the other night, and then that lady threw a rock at me and made me come on the other side of the railing. Were you, were you being unsafe? You really shouldn't do things that are dangerous, honey. Especially when you head to the water alone. I was being safe, Mom. I really was. I was listening to Harvest Moon. Her mother joins in, and the two in tandem say, only the best album ever created. Not just by Neil Young, by anyone. I know it's your favorite album right now, honey, but really? Ever? Mom... I don't want to have this discussion right now. I'm annoyed about the other night, and I don't want to be distracted. I couldn't even get what I wrote typed up. The pages got all dirty from when I dropped the notebook, which obviously landed face down on the sand and almost fell off the rock face. So the pages are dirty. And I can't tell if I was describing the descending sun as the sky birthing darkness or the shy biting harkens. Something, some, I don't know. I'm all thrown off. Her mother grabs the potatoes, serves herself a spoonful of the delicious mash, and motions for Other Lily to pull the table back toward her so she can eat over her plate. Other Lily obliges and returns her gaze to the window. Mom? Yes, dear? What, what am I going to do? I got a letter back from Stanford today. I haven't opened it, but it, it feels like a yes. What do you mean? When I hold it, it just feels like a yes. No, I mean, 
what do you mean when you ask, what am I going to do? Oh, I don't know what to do. Do I go to Stanford? Do I stay here with you? There's that school in Berlin. Mom, I'm conflicted. Well, at least you're not being dramatic about it. These are serious choices. If you go to Stanford, you'll be eight hours away driving. That's not bad. You have a few friends here that you will miss, but mostly because they will be finishing high school and you will have skipped that step. 17-year-old freshman. That's impressive. What do you want? I want my pen back. Other Lily plays with the food on her plate. Her mother exudes all the love and compassion a person can through closed lips and quiet smiles. She gives Other Lily a closer look and notices she's slightly hunched forward, wearing her tension in her neck and shoulders, pulling herself into her torso. The soft center inside draws her body in, desperate to protect her heart. We have more pens on. Other Lily looks up, catching her mother's gaze. She bites down, clenching her jaw tightly. She tries several times to form words, but nothing comes to mind, and her lips are left bare, her voice silent. She shakes her head. Mom, I don't, I don't really think it's even the pen. It's the last thing I had from Dad, but that's not really it either. I don't, I don't think anyway. I don't know if I'm ready to leave you and go out on my own. I think that's where I am. Sweetie, you'll be at school, not in outer space. I'll be able to drive to see you. We can talk and video chat. Thanks to this pandemic, I mean, I'm sick of it, but I'll endure that for you. The sacrifices we make as parents. Mom, time for serious, mom, okay? I need serious, mom. Well, I, I need all the hats you wear, but right now in this specific moment, this, this blip on the timeline you and I share, I need the mom that has all the sage advice. Like, Pretend that the universe, in all its infinite wisdom, put a baby inside you. This baby has all the right answers to all the questions we may or may not ever ask inside you, and only you, because I am still a child, and you are the mom. And moms have all the answers in this living, breathing miracle. I mean, not Jesus or anything, just, just this bundle of do this or that. I need, I need from it the right do this or do that. Do you think you could go in there and pull one out for me? Her mother's eyes widen, wearing the shock of what other Lily just proposed on her face. She questions, is that what you think happens? The universe just implants moms with all the answers? I don't know. I just know I need a hand, and I want it to come from something greater than myself. Greater than you, even. Sweetheart, her mother assures. Why don't we start with the letter you got from Stanford? We can take it from there. How's that? Other Lily lets out an exaggerated sigh oh, and relents. Fine. She moseys over to her book bag and retrieves the envelope with the Stanford logo emblazoned on the front. She tears into it, retrieving the tightly folded letter. Go on. Read it, dear. Can you, Mom? Sure thing. Here, let me see. Her mother takes the letter and glances it over and then begins to read. Dear Other Lily, thank you for applying to Stanford University. We admire your work. And we're pleased with your application. Considering you would be finishing high school early to attend next fall, we have decided the end. That's the end? That's the end. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so when I was sitting there um, and you said the item about my posture mm -hmm. i totally like straightened up <laughs> and um realized i was kind of doing exactly that like sometimes my posture is definitely 
I don't know. It's it's the way you described it, mm -hmm. and yeah, and <laughs> that's so funny. Like this is definitely. I love. Um, I feel like if I was in your position, I would struggle to imagine a whole story for this person that I met with these interviews mm -hmm. because I might be afraid to get things wrong. Oh. Um, but I feel like you totally leaned into the difference and the otherness, mm -hmm. um, like what the other Lily would or could be like. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, right on. Do you, um, do you write with point three eight pens? <laughs> um, I actually wrote that down because I need to find out if I do. I don't actually have an answer to that. Okay. But there was a set of pens, like uh, colored pens, that I was using and mm -hmm. rotating with, and like a couple of them I lost, and I don't know where they are. But mm. I remember being disappointed about that too. <laughs> um, for that person yelling at me i probably wouldn't have moved and i probably would have just said something like what the fuck do you want <laughs> i probably would have stayed there oh, or wow. like or um reluctantly moved after after that and, mm -hmm. and rolled my eyes i probably wouldn't been, have been so kind about it <laughs> that's good to know uh, <laughs> that's, that's yeah good to know. oh wow that's funny that's some of those sayings, like um, the mom sayings are, are really interesting because my mom doesn't usually use the word dear. She's really, um, it's so interesting because I like that is definitely some sort of other Lily because our relationship is very much like we treat each other as equals. Mm -hmm. And for me and for college and university, like, I don't feel like I need any help with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm ready to go. Right. <laughs> I was ready to go two years ago, and I'm ready now. Mm -hmm. And this, it's interesting to hear this other Lily, like, struggle with, like, no, like, I, I'm not ready to go. And, like, I need your help. I need a parent right now mm -hmm. because I'm used to parenting. Right. Which is definitely, like, this Lily felt the parenting, like, used to parenting and yeah. wanting a parent for sure. Um, yeah, that was that was oh, something wow. in our conversation that I really latched onto when I was creating the story was the I was taking it from that moment where you're like, Dad, I don't I don't want to be your mom anymore sort of thing, you know, Yeah. and then walking so hard away from that, deciding I, I don't want to do any work right now. I want yeah. someone else to do the parent work for me, which is everything. yeah, do everything for me right now, please. Yeah, which is so funny because um I like I don't know what that looks like for me. <laughs> um and and that's that's yeah. Yeah. I don't know thinking about that I'm just like thinking and reflecting mm -hmm. and um def that the table motion of like pushing the whole table away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's I, I don't that mm. sounds like something I would do although I haven't actually done that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah but i i yeah yeah um and i'm just like reflecting through it all um because there's like a lot of things underlying that totally tie back to me mm -hmm. and there's other things that are definitely like the other lily and the other person 
and seeing them come together and one story is really cool. Mm. Um, uh, what do you have an answer for the end? Like, did you decide whether, you know, uh, what it would be, what the leather would say? Nope. Okay. No, I I'm... was wondering if you, I wonder, I was wondering if you had that in your brain or, um, no. I, I liked okay. the idea of not knowing, although it, it took me like I was looking at a whole bunch of um, Stanford specific acceptance letters and rejection letters. Yeah. And yeah. in all of them, the first few words are congratulations, you have or we are sorry. So I was like, God, there's no like neutral anything in any of these. Like they tell you right away, like dear whatever you made it or. Yeah. Nope. You know, which I yeah. was I was kind of disappointed by, but yeah, um, that's good for the people who apply. But for but for you as this person start writing this short story, that's definitely challenging to find that neutral ground. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there's yeah. there's no suspense at all, and so yeah, I had to. Yeah. I was like taking pieces of other like the next few sentences from a few of them to come up with with this. Um, so man it was yeah but like i liked the idea of not knowing because like it could go either way me too um, me too partly because for me when i'm writing the story i like the idea of exploring you know the left instead of the right but i also mm -hmm. know that even even if this version of lily went right and went mm -hmm. to berlin she could have mm -hmm. done it in a hundred different ways right yeah. And it would, yeah. it would still be different. So I don't need it to yeah. be like completely opposed, uh, which mm -hmm. is why I was like, oh, she could have, she could have gotten into Stanford. I mean, what if she did, you know, would that have informed her? But I like the idea of this version of you being so indecisive about this, like exactly mm -hmm. what to do. Um, yeah. Cause like in my brain, the way that I saw it was even if you got in or didn't, Mm -hmm. In that moment, you were so paralyzed by all of the options because yeah. uh, like that feeling inside of you is like, I just want to move on to something else. Right. I'm ready yeah. to get going. But what, yeah. you know, and that was that was yeah. uh, where I like envisioned this person going. And then I took it to the way that like child geniuses are affected mm -hmm. by life, you know, how they like overheat, essentially. And then uh -huh. like have their breakdowns in their twenties in my brain. This is what was happening to you. Just overcome with <laughs> options, right? Yeah. All the things that you were trying to do, you just kind of set your brain on fire. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know. I think five years ago I was definitely like overwhelmed with like, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And I was still very like, I want to go here for university. I want to go here. Like that is where, and that was, I, it's, I think a huge part of how I have evolved from that is because I have like my higher power mm -hmm. and I know that I don't have to figure it all out mm -hmm. and it's going to work out in a way that will be best for me personally. Okay. And I think that's really helped me to evolve and grow and grow in a way that it looks like other Lily doesn't really have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I, I really hope that other Lily finds her higher power yeah. um, because I know like it's really challenging to trust in something more than yourself. And it was definitely um, something I practiced and something I continue to practice every day and mm. will for the rest of my life. Oh, good. Um, 
So it was so interesting to hear that. And like, I love how you made her, you know, be angry and frustrated. Um, and then like, just turn to mom and be like, you just do it all for me. Just do it all for yeah. me. And um, <laughs> if you talk to my mom now, you'd probably, she would, I don't know what she would say, but we kind of joke about that. Like when one of us is tired, mm -hmm. we kind of want the other person to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> we just, it's like how it works and our, and relationships and stuff. Like mm -hmm. when one of us is tired, you know, someone else supports and et cetera. And so I've never really had that moment of like, you do it all for me. It's more of like cooperative, but sometimes there's days where we're both really tired mm -hmm. and like we need to just really lean into self-care and, yeah. and, and veg very mm. hard. <laughs> um, and the relationship with the father was really interesting because I don't think my dad has actually ever given me a pen and the way that we are bonded and like, we really connect over our shared love of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so like um, we take swims together and he taught me to swim when I was like two or three years old, um, along with my grandmother on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've always just really deeply connected with. And mm -hmm. it's funny to hear you bring up the pen because I would imagine my father and I like, we would be swimming in the water in front of like kind of where I would be sitting. And we've actually done that before, um, mm. like last year around this time. So it was interesting to hear that that difference because it made me think about like the bond and the relationship I have with my father. And like, we don't share the pen, but we share our love of the ocean mm. and our appreciation for that. Um, is this, I don't know, there's so many cool things and like different things about this story. I really liked it. Yeah. It was great. Awesome. I'm glad it, you did. It took me to a totally different place. Oh, good. Yeah. So like with the idea with the pen for me, the, where it wasn't like a, here, sweetie, you like to write, here's a pen for you. It's one of those, yeah. um, not quite a trophy, but like, oh, I took this from dad's house. And I haven't seen him in a while because I told him, you know, I kind of like told mm -hmm. him how I felt about the way things were mm -hmm. going. And now I'm staying only at mom's. And mm -hmm. then when I look back, it's like, oh, shoot, this is the only thing I have from there. That's kind of where yeah. I had it. So it okay. wasn't like this prize, like, oh, thanks, dad. You gave me a pen. Yeah. It was more of a, oh, this is this is all that remains, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got that feeling from the story, but it somehow made me transition to um, like what we share as father and daughter oh. or really now like equals. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, it made me reflect and that's, you know, that's definitely something that like, oh, this is kind of what I have right now or what I have left for remembrance for whatever time period this is mm -hmm. that that definitely happened for me i don't mm -hmm. i don't remember specific objects but there were definitely like specific places and memories that i would like go to or visit where i was like oh wow like i am living with my mom and i'm not spending this time with my father at all mm -hmm. and um you know this is kind of what i have 
from before right. um, because after this things are going to be different between us right yeah the, yeah the before yeah. time <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow. has have you been down to seal rock um wait where is there okay so there's so many different um which rock are you talking about because there's a few different seal rocks and everyone kind of calls it by these different names oh like at la jolla cove yeah okay um yes i have oh that's where we're talking about yeah okay i didn't quite catch that oh Oh wow! Yeah, I remember that you you had oh, said they would that tot- you would go down, you would ride your bike down to the water, right, and then bugger off. So I was looking at all the spots on the water, and I found that one, uh-huh. and I was like, "Ooh, I like this spot. This is okay." Dope. Oh and, wow! Yeah, there was like- I don't ride over there, but that's so funny you put me there um, because I definitely used to like I used to go on runs by there a lot, and I used to walk by there, and the cove is a really popular spot. Oh, that's so funny. Also, like the seals, um, the seals and the birds have like gotten together and that whole section smells um, like bird poop. And so it's a huge tourist destination, but you wouldn't know unless you were there that like the entire place smells like bird poop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. But yes, that would totally happen with the person saying like, you need to come back from the fence. Mm -hmm. And people do that like all the time or go down the cliffs. Yeah. And it, you, it, it technically says you're not supposed to go down the cliffs, but people do it anyway. That's, oh my goodness, yeah. that moment is totally happening. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I was, uh, I had found some article about someone who had re- like a, a couple years before been mauled by deciding to go down into like Seal Cave just below yeah. that spot. And so I just mm-hmm. imagine that this specific worker was on duty that time and felt like i'm gonna get yelled at if this if this girl falls down and gets chewed up by a seal you know so that's in my brain she was the one that was working when this guy fell over in real life so oh that's so funny yeah yeah Yeah. okay yeah that makes sense a lot of people like interact with the seals in a way they shouldn't like Mm. They throw things at them, they get really close to them, and you just, you can't do that. Yeah. You, you can't do that. You need to respect the seal space like yeah, you would. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The, 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 which is like, so this is one of the, one of the things that I love about writing these stories is being able to like put little things in there, you know? Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes we catch them, sometimes we don't, but I like to pepper them with what I think is like, oh, this might be, you know, this might be a little something. So I'm, I'm, I'm at least glad yeah. that you can have, you can place in your mind, oh, that exact spot. I know that spot. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Thing. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about that and I was really, that's part of the reason why I was looking forward to like hearing the story because I had a feeling you would pepper some of those things mm-hmm. in there. And so it's really cool to experience that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It adds it even more context to what this other Lily is like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did, so the, going back to the, like, the first thing you said is mm-hmm. uh, the idea of being wrong. Uh, I'm nervous about all of these stories 
because yeah. like I'm, I'm questioning my ability to listen, you know, based mm. on the conversation that we have that my mm-hmm. ability to take notes, you know, all of, as mm-hmm. I'm writing the story, I'm like questioning myself every step of the way. Like, did you hear that? Did, did you, are you like, sure, you know what you're saying here? Are you sure this is going to hit anywhere? And I want to say out of all of them, there's only one that I felt like I totally missed. I felt like I caught what she was saying, but she was like, oh no, parents and children weren't like that when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, okay. So they were not nice ever. Good to know. Uh, and then there was like something else. So I was like, oh, all right, that's fine. You know, out of, out of the 52, if I miss everything on, on one, I feel good about that. So, yeah, yeah. And I also think that goes to show that like, even if you were listening, it's hard to, it's hard to sometimes understand or to really be there even if you're being the best, you know, if you're really, even if you're totally and completely hearing their story, we're not, you're not them. And Mm -hmm. so like, you don't know their story as the way that they do, but you do have your own perspective with the way that you heard it, which I think is also really valuable. And the way like you're able to sneak in those moments of like, this is where this person was and they know this, you know, mm-hmm. like that is really interesting and really powerful to hear. This other Lily is definitely like really different from who I am, mm-hmm. but like, I really like her because <laughs> she is so different. And because these are things like I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, you know, I, if I didn't decide I think it goes back before Berlin, because if I decided, if I didn't really put in an investment into like, um, really like taking care of myself and trusting in my higher power mm-hmm. and evolving in the way I did, then I may be similar to how other Lily is. And mm-hmm. um, personally, I feel satisfied with me now, but okay. I have a lot of compassion and empathy for this other Lily, yeah. and I, I hope that she's able to find her higher power. <laughs> I really hope that for her. <laughs> um, That's sweet. So, in writing these stories and interviewing, mm-hmm. um, you did say you get nervous. So, when in having these stories be different, mm-hmm. like what, what is it that you look for when you're writing these stories? Are you looking for it to be? Like, okay, maybe it's not the exact thing um, that this person is talking about, but it's something like different, like a possible different person of mm-hmm. them. Does that make sense, my question? Yeah. So I, I think like from the onset, I knew that no matter what, and, and so like the first, I don't know, like 10 or 12 guests, um, mm-hmm. maybe even before that, I knew mm-hmm. very intimately, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I knew these people. And uh-huh. I felt like I was cheating, yeah. you know, when I was writing the story uh-huh. because of how well I knew uh-huh. them, right? Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I know uh-huh. this. And so I'm like peppering in things that I have firsthand experienced, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But I still knew even then that just because I have experienced life with these people, the things that I was guessing, you know, that they might experience and how they uh-huh. would react to them was uh-huh. I knew was going to vary, right? So uh-huh. I, I knew uh-huh. I was always going to be just a little bit off. 
you know, mm-hmm. based on yeah. like my, my own ability to even mm-hmm. like remember mm-hmm. exactly who they were. Um, mm-hmm. But so like the, the ner- a lot of the nerves um, come from me. Well, I mean, so part of it, if, we're, if, if I'm being completely honest, is dealing mm-hmm. with imposter syndrome, right? And no matter what mm-hmm. measure of thing that you do, no matter how confident in it that you are, mm-hmm. there's always that little bit of doubt, like, no, you actually suck. You're terrible. And everyone's going to hate this, right? Mm-hmm. There's that, that little mm-hmm. voice that likes to, you know, just, mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe that part of us that is supposed to keep us in check when we're out, like, mm-hmm. hunting for food and there's a giant lion, mm-hmm. there's that voice that's like, hey, bro. Maybe you don't want to attack this line with your bare hands. You know, there's that voice. And the way that it has evolved with people Mm -hmm. is instead of hunting lions when we're like creating things that we're going to present, it's Mm -hmm. like, hey, maybe, maybe you do suck. Maybe you should just stay home and, you know, eat a bowl of cereal sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's part of the nerves. Um, But it's, it's, it's also like, I I really want to do something that is going to be impactful to the listener. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. to the guest, right? Mm-hmm. I love, I love the idea of kind of writing this love letter to this stranger that I met, had you know a forty-minute conversation with, and I, I want to write them a love letter, right? That is, hey, I'm, I hear you, and I'm, I'm yeah. listening to you, and I'm, I value so much the things that you're saying that I'm gonna, I want to create this moment that I think you might have lived, but done things a little differently, just based on my own personal, you know, experience. And, and I think like uh, a bunch of the relationships that I create in the stories are relationships that I kind of hope that I would see in people. You know, I try and find the best. Although to be honest, some of the stories are like, Oh Jesus, bro. Like, um, one of my guests, she's, um, an indigenous artist in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so hers was Mm -hmm. it was uh, her name is Brandy. Um, Mm -hmm. Hers was like intense, like, oh, um, I was an alcoholic and my husband took my son away. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to get sober. That was her decision. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to come at this from the point of maybe, you know, you never get sober. What does that look like? You know, so some of them are like really intense like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's real. Yeah, but I think that intensity is really important and also really necessary because yeah. everybody's stories are different and like what we experience is all very different for all of us, but mm. like it carries that intensity. I I'm a, it, is that other brandy? Yeah. Okay, I definitely want to take a listen to that. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. Um there's so much tied into like alcoholism and drug addiction because um it's a disease Mm -hmm. and it's a progressive disease and a lot of people don't get better um or don't know how to seek treatment and um once you kind of start looking at it's something that we learn in like al-anon and in the program but Mm -hmm. once you learn that it's a disease it takes away that feeling of like they're personally doing this to you Mm. because they're not, it's a disease. It really is a disease. And, um, the, it causes a lot of harm, Mm -hmm. but 
default is not particularly on anyone. It's not their fault for quote unquote being an alcoholic. There's no fault. It's right. a disease. And yeah. um, I think that's one of, I think that's something that I've learned in the program that's really impacted me and freed me from being trapped in the mindset of taking everything really personally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that they have equipped you with a lesson that most people don't learn until late thirties, maybe even forties. The notion that when people make decisions that are harmful to themselves or even sometimes harmful to you as uh, like an ancillary participant mm -hmm. in their poor decision-making is they're not doing things to you. When, especially yeah. when people are self-destructive, they're not being self-destructive to you. They're not doing these things at you or to you. Sometimes people are literally just doing things to and for themselves. And mm -hmm. we as bystanders are impacted. Right. And yeah. so a lot of, it's it's easy to take it personally like oh this thing that you're doing can't you see that mm -hmm. it affects me so obviously you're doing this thing for the purpose mm -hmm. of hurting me or you're doing this thing to me mm -hmm. right yeah and learning yeah. the lesson of no no it's it's not yeah it's not about you and i think um if if we break it down completely the idea that when other people are being self-destructive that we take it personally that's us feeding into our own narcissism that yeah well obviously i'm the most important person here and when you do these things that are harmful to you you're doing them at me because you want me to be impacted even mm -hmm. though your yeah. impact is like a one percent of what's actually mm -hmm. you know being experienced yeah you know so that's a good i'm glad you were you have you were able to experience that and I, that you have that in your back pocket that's gonna it's gonna help you save a lot of emotional stress and <laughs> yeah yeah it's Later on in life, yeah. it's i agree with you on all of that like the reaction of like i was definitely in that space of like this is happening to me and that can really wind you down some harmful paths um not just with the other person but with yourself and it can really put you on a path of like self-pity mm -hmm. um and that's something we also talk about in the program too um, I always say, and my mom and I are saying this like consistently, like if everyone did Al-Anon or, you know, AA, like the world would be such a better place because a lot of people come into the program because they have a loved one or a family member or a friend, whatever it is that is struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And they believe that that's why they're in the program. But at the end of the day, you're in the program because you need the program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're in the program because you you need it, because yeah. you need that support, and because it's not really about the alcoholic anymore. It's a, it's about you mm -hmm. and um, what you can do for you and how you can support yourself and what higher powers you can talk to. Um, it's such a it's such a really beautiful like thing that I hope everyone can experience um, being in that shared space and community and listening to other people's stories. Mm. Um, yeah. And working the program. Mm. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. And like, 
it's also tough that that's where we it's like sometimes we learn lessons in life and the reason that we learn those lessons is because of like some pretty stressful hardship like yeah. there's that there's that that idiom how many laws were written in blood yeah right and it's the how many times if you're you're on a road and you see a sign that says hey there's mm-hmm. a curve here please don't go flying off the cliff they only mm-hmm. know to say that because somebody flew off the cliff right so the mm-hmm. it's it's tough that sometimes the lessons we learn we learn because we have to experience pain first and it it's it's not that we can you know get that warning ahead of time and trust yeah. that like oh okay so this person really cares about me and so i'm gonna heed their words even though i haven't experienced this ridiculous thing that they're suggesting that i will or might or whatever you know so, yeah but I yeah mean, no i agree with you it's in your toolbox now so i'm, I'm glad for that yeah yeah I, i'm really i agree with everything you're saying and that's resonating with me for sure um and it's really powerful too like you're so right about the fact that, you know, a lot of people learn things from their own pains and from those own intensities, which vary from person to person and everyone experiences it differently, mm-hmm. whatever pains or experiences that they may be. And it can be really hard to realize that like you can use or recognize or come to some sort of peace or forgiveness or like closure with having those experiences and Mm. not everyone can do that and they're that's okay like yeah we're all human and we're all very different but we're trying you know (laughs) we're trying (laughs) yeah yeah oh that's great yeah that's great so before we go um can you can you give us one little taste of an example of one of your one of the stories in your upcoming book. Is there is there anything that you can give us to whet our appetite for your book? Yes. Um, wow, this is exciting. Um, I'll read like two paragraphs, Perfect. like around 142 words. So this story is titled Haboob, and it's about a particular type of weather instance, which is... Um, happens a lot in the Midwest, in the middle of the country of the United States, where these big dust storms come to um, a lot of places in the Midwest. And that's what a hoboob is. It essentially looks like a huge, massive cloud um, engulfing like towns and cities, but it's basically a huge dust storm. Hmm. Um, and it's it may look really powerful, um, and to some extent it is, but it is also, um, not as powerful as it's powerful in a different way than a tornado. It wouldn't cause that degree of harm that a tornado might. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The dust was swirling an endlessness, not entirely meant to be. It's tornadoes of warness and stories told tales of the sun, the earth, the moon, and the forces of nature. It was reminiscent of so much more, so much greater, powerful, intoxicating, beautiful, stunning. The dust began to quicken underneath the foot of the universe. It twirled in a waltz and dances. It skittered across the open scattered plains of many and more 
The dust had traveled. It had traveled through villages, towns, cities, and it had changed them. When the people felt that first warm fall wind, they knew what was coming. They knew to prepare themselves to shutter the windows, lock the doors, and move the plates out of open air. They knew that once the dust came, it would settle and remake its home once again. Um, so that is a small excerpt Ooh. from Havu. Thank you. Um, there's still some heavy editing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it just depends which story, but there's still some editing that I definitely have to do. So what happens is like anyone who buys a copy automatically becomes a beta reader mm -hmm. and which means they can give me feedback on any of my chapters and we can kind of like exchange Ooh. ideas. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to word that. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that was perfect okay. right there. So um, you, you, you oh, guys were able okay. to hear this little snippet that gives you an idea of, uh, what some of the stories will be like if you pre-purchase if you jump in on pre-purchase then you get to be a beta reader like she mentioned so you'll get to read early you'll get to uh like give your thoughts down that might impact some of the editing not saying that you're going to become an editor you're just going to read it and say hey i like this or i don't like this or i'm confused about this and then you'll be able to create a back and forth which is exciting with the author here um, so give it, give it a go. The unwavering, follow her on Instagram, author.lily.smith. Follow her on Twitter at Lily HD Smith and find her on LinkedIn. Lily Smith, young writer, authorpreneur. Thank you again so much, Lily, for being here. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you, you so much. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and with that season one, the other you podcast comes to a close 52 guests 52 stories and we're done it was it was lovely having you all here come back in the next couple weeks for season two things are going to be a little bit different there'll still be really interesting guests there'll still be stories but the way we go about it might be just a touch different it has been uh, an absolute pleasure to present to you these people and their stories. Thank you, everybody, for participating. Thank you again, Lily. For me, D, host of Other You, and for all of my guests, we out. Bye.